We are in uh, week five of our series called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. We are, we, for the last four or five weeks, we have been navigating through the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters. And we've been looking at the very first part of that, the first uh, 12 verses or so called the Beatitudes. And Jesus starts this incredible sermon, Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever. He starts it by unpacking for us the uncommon happiness, the uncommon character, the uncommon life that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God. He's teaching us what a kingdom citizen looks like, right? How we live, how we're separate from the world, how we live out our faith. And he does this, begins this by teaching these things we call the Beatitudes. And he starts each one of these Beatitudes with a very interesting word. It's the word blessed. Blessed in the Greek, now to us we go, well, what's so interesting about that? Well, in the Greek, that word is makarios. That's the Greek word. And makarios means supremely fortunate or happy beyond measure. That's what it means. Yeah, I'll have some of that. I'll, I'll have some happy beyond measure today. That'll do just fine. Uh, that, that, but that's what the word means. And it, th- what we discover, though, is the way Jesus uses this word, it isn't that we experience this happiness because of what we do, but rather because of who we are in him. It's the natural outcome of the redeeming work of Christ in us. And as Christ works in us and works through us, as his nature becomes our nature and his character becomes our character. As we live that out, we are supremely fortunate and happy beyond measure. But what is interesting is that Jesus attaches this word to things that we wouldn't normally attach it to, right? Jesus says, blessed, supremely fortunate, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are humble. Happy are the merciful. And this morning, we're going to actually look at what may be the most shocking of of all of them. And that is in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Maybe the most shocking of anything so far. But before we jump into verse 10, I I just love, I said last week, I love to read these Beatitudes. So I want you to start with me again in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. God's word says this. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek. I had them memorized. Y'all messed me up. For they shall inherit the earth. (laughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I need that, Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, why? For they shall be called the sons of God. 
And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when uh, others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, this is, uh, this is a hard teaching today from, from you. Um, but God, like any good father, um, you teach us the hard things, but you remind us of what matters in those hard things and the reward of those hard things and how we keep our eyes fixed on you through those hard things. And so God, right now, I'm praying that you would do that for us God, I'm praying that you would make me faithful to your word. Make me faithful to your word, Lord. Don't allow me to add anything to it and protect me from subtracting anything from it. Just make me faithful. Open the eyes and the ears of your people and our hearts, God, to hear you, to see you. Would you let your word do its work in us, reviving and restoring and healing and reproving, Lord, and calling us in to deeper things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at this beatitude in Matthew 5.10 of uh, being blessed in persecution. So what is persecution? The Greek word that Jesus uses for persecuted here is the word dioko. Dioko, which simply means to pursue in a hostile manner, to chase after so that you can harm, to pursue someone to molest them or harm them, to put them to flight. That's what the word dioko means. And listen, it's not an uncommon word. This word was used 40 plus times uh, in the New Testament alone. But to give you a better understanding of what this word means, I I want you to hear how Paul used it. Paul used this word dioko to describe himself and the way he treated the church before Jesus saved him. You remember when Jesus punted him off that horse on the road to Damascus? Right? Before Paul was Paul, he was who? It was Saul. And as Saul, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a leader of the religious elite and he was a Roman citizen and he was an enemy of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. And what you see in Acts chapter 8, Luke records in Acts chapter 8 that Paul ravaged the church, that he would go from house to house in Jerusalem and he would pull out anyone that was a member of what they called the way. That's what they called Christianity at first. If you were a part of the way, he would yank you out of your house and bind you and haul you off to prison And in Acts chapter 9, it says that Saul went to the Sanhedrin and he asked for letters that would allow him to not only go into homes, but to go into synagogues. And he would go into synagogues and he would pull people out who were known to be a part of the way and he would arrest them and bind them and haul them off to prisons in Jerusalem. And then Paul in Acts chapter 26, he describes himself. He's describing the Saul before Jesus. And these are the words of Paul. Listen to what he says. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. That's the picture this word paints. That's what Saul did, and that is the exact same word Jesus uses to describe what will happen to the citizens of his kingdom when they live their life for him. Often we think of persecution as, as kind of a thing of the past, right? It's, this isn't just a problem from our past. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is a present reality. We have siblings in the faith all over this world who right now endure persecution. Right now, there are men and women who are being arrested without trial. Everything they own is being taken. They're being pulled out of their homes, separated from their families, homes being burned to the ground, families sold into slavery, and them killed. That's happening right now. There are some stats that I want you to see of modern-day persecution. These aren't things from 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 years ago. These are from the year 2018, two years ago. Two years ago. In 2018... Open Doors Ministry, which helps track uh, martyrdom and persecution of the church around the world, discovered that there were 245 million Christians in the world who experienced high levels of persecution. What is that? That's homes burned, thrown into prison, arrested, separated from families, tried without a cause, killed. One in nine Christians worldwide experiences persecution. Listen to this. Just in the year 2018, in that 12-month window, 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith. This is not Saul 2,000 years ago. This is two years ago. Our time. In that same year, 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. In that same year, 1,266 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. And just in that year, every month, there was an average of 105 churches attacked or burned or vandalized. And every day of that year, every single day, 11 siblings of ours lost their life because of their faith. This isn't just a problem of the past, right? It's a present reality. Now, how does this then, though, apply to us here in East Texas? Matt, what do you want me to do with that information? I heard what Paul did, but that was 2,000 years ago, and I hear those stats that you read, but that's all the way on the other side of the world. Those things would never happen here. How does that apply to me? We're in America. We're in the Western world. This is the 21st century. We have rights. We're protected, right? So there's no way that this applies to our lives. But I want you to hear me say this. If, if you are living your life in righteousness and for the glory of Jesus, persecution will be a reality in your life. Jesus made this promise over and over and over again to his disciples. The gospels are filled with examples of Jesus warning them, preparing them, and teaching them how to endure. They didn't know what was coming. The disciples didn't know that almost every single one of them were going to die a martyr's death. They didn't know that, but Jesus knew it. They didn't know they would be arrested and beaten and flogged and humiliated. They didn't know, but Jesus knew. 
In John 15, he says, uh, never forget, they persecuted me, and because you belong to me, they're going to persecute you. In John 16, he said, in this world, while you're here, you're going to have tribulation. Over and over again, he made this promise. Right? These aren't the promises of God that we like, though, right? No, nobody is memorizing all the verses about being persecuted, right? Nobody has them as the lock screen on their phone. Nobody's going to Hobby Lobby and buying a framed art that says, blessed are the murdered in faith. But nobody's doing that. We don't do that. But these are the promises of God, right? If the promise of him being with us when we gather in his name is true, the promise of persecution when we live out righteously is also true. If the promise that we have that uh, he is preparing a place for us and he is going to come back to take us again, if that promise is true, the promise that we will experience righteousness when we live out, we experience persecution when we live out righteousness is also true. I want you to hear what Paul describes, how he describes this reality uh, for kingdom citizens in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's writing this letter to his son in the faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, here's what Paul says for kingdom citizens. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for my sake. And Paul says, all who desire to live that way, to live for Jesus, to live righteously, will be persecuted. What does that mean? There's no exemptions here. Nobody gets off. It means obedience to Jesus doesn't go on sale. There's a cost here, right? It's the reason why when Jesus called his disciples, he said things like, take up the cross. This is going to cost you something. Right? So the reason why Jesus said things, he said, if you're going to follow in me, your love for me has to make your love for anything else look like hate. It's going to cost you something here. And the reason there's persecution, the reason there's a cost, is because there is a clash of kingdoms. There's a clash of kingdoms, right? Persecution exists because the moment the character of Christ enters in, there is a clash of kingdoms. Anytime the kingdom of God is lived out and displayed in the kingdom of this world, there is going to be friction. Why? Because the light and the darkness have no fellowship with one another. Because the, the gospel of Jesus stands at odds with the mindset of this world. The kingdom of God is about the priority of God, right? It's about the glory of God. It is making much of God. It is seeking him first. It is pursuing righteousness in him and, and, and giving our heart and our mind's attention and our heart's affection to him because he's worthy of it. Whereas the kingdom of this world is about my glory and my name and making much of me. And when the citizens of the kingdom of God who are in this world, but not of it. Bless the Lord, right? You believe that? We're in this world. We're not of this world. When the citizens of the kingdom of God live out that righteousness, that Christ-centeredness, that God-glorifying life, that all-satisfying thing that we get to experience in him, when we live that out, it clashes against the kingdom of this world. And there is going to be persecution. 
I couldn't help but think this week as I thought through some examples of, of people who were persecuted. Um, I couldn't help but think to the civil rights movement in the 50s and the 60s and some of those heroes who paid dearly. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I wonder why Rosa Parks was, a, was persecuted for sitting on a bus. I wonder why Medgar Evers' home in Mississippi was firebombed in May of 1963, and in the very next month in June, he was shot in the back in his own driveway. I wonder why the Little Rock Nine were hurled with death threats and rocks and stones and bricks thrown at them. These were nine teenagers who just went to high school at Central High in Little Rock, Arkansas. Why were they persecuted? It was not because of wrong they had done. Listen, it was simply for being who they were in a culture that didn't want to accept them. It was because they brought a truth to the reality they were presented and the truth they brought rubbed, caused friction. It collided. They brought a truth that said this reality is wrong and it shouldn't be this way. And when they entered into it with truth, there was friction. And in that same way, Jesus is saying, if you're going to live out the kingdom of heaven while you were in this world, you were going to experience persecution, not because of wrong done by you, but for simply being who you are in Christ Jesus. So the question, aren't you glad you came today? Did you? <laughs> the question is, how then do we endure? How do we endure persecution? How do we endure the trial? How do we endure the hardship? And the answer is we have to have an uncommon perspective. An uncommon perspective. Well, how do we get that uncommon perspective? There's three things I want us to see this morning that we're going to discover in God's Word. Three ways that we get an uncommon perspective that allow us to endure and thrive and have supreme happiness even in persecution. Here's the first thing. We have to walk in uncommon character. We have to walk in uncommon character. Look at what Jesus says in verse 10 of Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice Jesus didn't say any kind of persecution is blessed. It's not what he said. He said when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, you see, we tend to feel persecuted when we don't get our way, right? Why is it so quiet in here, right? Is that true? Is that me? Maybe it's just me, right? If the half-off sale doesn't apply to the thing we want to buy, we feel persecuted. Come on. <laughs> right? If they don't want to accept that two-year-old coupon we've been rolling with for two years that's been expired, we, we feel persecuted, right? If I waited patiently, I'm exercising the fruit of the Spirit to get that front parking lot and a parking spot and somebody gets it in front of me, I'm being persecuted, right? If I get pulled over, even though I was just keeping up with the flow of traffic, right, I'm being, I'm being persecuted. I'm being <laughs> wrong. Not that I've ever tried to use that excuse, ever, right? When it, when it doesn't go our way, we feel persecuted. Or we feel persecuted when people don't agree with us. When they don't ask us our opinion, when they don't see things politically the way we do, when they don't like our plan. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
He isn't promising this kind of blessing simply because life is unfair. It's not what he's promising. This kingdom honor, this kingdom blessing, this kingdom happiness belongs to those who actively pursue kingdom righteousness. That's what he's talking about. We have to walk in a common character, kingdom righteousness. So what does that look like for us? What does uncommon character look like lived out in our lives? For us, the reality is we may never experience the violence that I talked about that brothers and sisters all over the world experience. For us, it's much more subtle, right? We deal with it culturally and socially. We see it in our relationships. We see it in our work and and in our school. Here's what I mean. Uncommon character lived out in the life of the believer, that righteousness of Christ will look something like when you are content in who you are, it's going to clash with those who need popularity and the approval of others. Are you with me? When you're just happy in Jesus and you're happy with who you are in God and you're satisfied with that, it's going to clash against people who need the approval of men. When you cherish the purity of your body, students, young people, listen to me. When you cherish the purity of your body, it is going to clash against people who live to just satisfy the flesh. It's it's going to be friction. When you embrace integrity in your workplace and you refuse to lower the standard, it's going to clash with those who cut corners and cheat to gain profit. When you live simply, content, happy, it's going to clash with those who find satisfaction in what they own and in what they have. They're not going to be comfortable around you. (laughs) When you walk humbly with God, it's going to clash with those who walk in pride. When you are diligent, when you are earnest, it's going to clash with those who are lazy and negligent. When you speak with compassion and love, it's going to clash with those whose words are filled with judgment. And when you live spiritually minded, it is going to clash with those who are worldly minded. Why? Because when the righteousness of Christ enters in, there's kingdoms that are colliding. And there's going to be persecution. This character lived out of us, this uncommon character. This, we see that in the Beatitudes. When he says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have experienced the mercy of Jesus and who then are living that mercy out and giving it away. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's living pure towards God and towards others. Blessed are the peacemakers living to see peace made in relationships, in our workplace. Blessed are those people. That's the character that is lived out. And Jesus said, simply by being that, you're going to experience persecution. So how do we have uncommon perspective? we got to walk in that character. we got to walk with uncommon character. Here's the second thing. We have to see what persecution is producing. Oh, this is a hard one. We have to see what persecution is producing. Jesus said in verse 11 of Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Jesus said that it's on his account that we are persecuted because we bear his name, meaning that people will revile and slander and mistreat and abuse and leave us out and pass over us because we look like him. And the more we look like him, the more we're going to experience this persecution. But that way of living, that righteousness lived out, that kingdom-mindedness is going to produce persecution and that persecution is going to produce something in us. It's doing something. Listen, believer, somebody needs to hear this morning that hardship and trial faced in the path of obedience to Jesus is not meaningless. Hardship and trial faced in the path of obedience to Jesus is not meaningless. It's doing, it is full of purpose. God is using it. He's producing something in you through it. What is he producing? I want you to flip over to the right in your Bible to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James, this is the brother of Jesus. Who was probably very, who was very well sitting on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said these words. He says this, starting in verse 2 Count it all joy. There it is again. This idea of rejoice, be glad, happy, blessed, all that. Here it is again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, persecution, hardship, struggle, that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's two things I want us to notice here. Two things I think persecution is doing, producing in the life of the kingdom citizen. The first is this. Persecution produces a refined faith. It produces a refined faith. What do I mean? Persecution is the refiner's fire for us. James said that when we meet trials, it is the testing of our faith. Well, what, does it, what does it mean for our faith to be tested? What does that mean? It means that we have been put in a position for the inner miracle of salvation and the inner transformation of our heart to be seen and affirmed and proven as real in the world. It means we've been put in a position that what we say we believe about God, we get to now display that it's actually true for us. We, we like to just say it, right? I'd like to skip over having to get into a situation where I've got to prove it. This is where how we say we love God first is tested. This is where we say that we actually believe all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose is tested. This is where we have the opportunity to prove we actually believe that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons no nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God. That's where it's put to the test. This is where it's put to the test from Philippians 4 when Paul said, um, I know what it means to be with and without. I know what it means to have much and to have nothing, to be full and to starve to death. But I can do all things. I can do all of that 
through Christ who strengthens me. It's put into the fiery furnace when we, or to the, the refiner's fire in persecution. It, the, that, that persecution is producing a refined faith. It's where the impurities of our spiritual lives are burned off. Have you ever seen the process of gold being refined? They take the raw product, which is filled with all kinds of impurity, and they stick it into a furnace, and they heat that fire to almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a bit warm in there. And uh, uh, it starts to smolder and, and melt, and it starts bubbling. It's very violent. And then they add to that violent process. They throw chemicals in on it that cause the, the lesser metals and the pure gold to separate from one another. It's a very violent process, but what you get on the other end is a pure, steadfast product. And in that way, our faith is tested, and when it is tested, it is purified and becomes steadfast. That's the first thing. It's we got to see what persecution is doing to have that uncommon perspective. We got to see what it's doing in us. James said it's refining our faith. Here's the other thing it's doing. Persecution is making us more like Jesus. It's making us more like Jesus. Verse 4 says in let stead, uh, of James 1, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be, what? Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When my faith is tested, when I am in hardship and trial and persecution, I am in the process of being made complete to growing to fullness, lacking nothing, becoming mature. Listen, believer, this is the fertile soil of becoming like Christ. I wish there was another way. There's not. Yes, it's hard. But in suffering and in trial and in persecution, the soil is rich to make us like Jesus. But to endure that persecution, we got to have the uncommon perspective of what it is doing in us. So we have to walk in uncommon character. And we have to see what persecution is producing in us. It isn't meaningless. Amen? Here's the third thing we need to see. If we're going to walk with uncommon perspective and thrive in persecution, we have to treasure the greater reward. We have to treasure the greater reward. Look at verse 12 of Matthew 5. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Now hold on. Because just before this, he said others are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to slander you. They're going to mistreat you. They're going to charge you falsely. Next words after that, rejoice and be glad. Do you see the shock in the way Jesus taught? Rejoice and be glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said rejoice because even though the race has hardship and struggle and persecution, it leads to the reward. Listen, we aren't going to see that reward this side of heaven. 
Believer, the kingdom of this world is incapable of rewarding the character in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? The kingdom of this world cannot reward your righteousness. It can only collide against it. And I think this is one of the reason, reasons that so many believers struggle in their faith and in their journey with Jesus and they lose their joy along the way because they want to do the right things. But when they do, they want the world to affirm them and to make much of them and to celebrate them and to pat them on the back and to call them good people. And Jesus said, this world is not where your reward is, but it is great and it is in heaven. And when you have your eyes fixed on the greater reward, you have an uncommon perspective to endure with joy whatever is thrown at you. That's hard teaching. What is the reward? What is this reward? that is great in the kingdom of, what is it? It is nothing less than God himself. It is entering into the kingdom of heaven and for the first time shedding off the, the mortal body and the sin nature and the veil of my wickedness and self-centeredness and seeing with an unveiled face the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God. It is lending my voice to the choir that we sing with this morning when we get to sing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy are you, Lord, to take up and open the scroll. For you were the lamb who was slain and who saved me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the reward. That's the reward. Nothing less than God himself is our treasure. Do you long for that? Do you long for that? Is there something in you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that cannot wait for that? It is why I pray often, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm just through with this world. You know what I mean? Years like 2020, come on, come on, Lord. Let's put a bow on this thing. We got to go. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why? Because I want my eyes on the greater reward. I want to see, I want to see my family who's there. I, I do. I miss them. I miss them. I miss my brother. I miss him. He died 20 years ago this October. I miss him so much. And I can't wait to hug his neck and see his face and kiss him. I can't wait for it. But that's not my prize. My prize is I get to see God. I get to see Jesus. My faith becomes sight. And I don't have to walk around in this body that hurts and that struggles with sin and lust and fear and anger and self-centeredness and stupidity and thoughtlessness, I, it, goes, it goes away. I don't have that anymore. And I get to celebrate the king of the kingdom forever. That's our prize. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, this, this needs to be medicine to somebody's soul this morning. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is talking about what it looks like to live the gospel out, to live the light of the gospel. And then he says, when you live that light out, there's going to be hardship. You're going to be struck down. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be afflicted. All these things are going to happen. But listen to what he says in verse 16. But we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self... That part that's going to live forever is being renewed day by day. Ready? Here it is. For this light and momentary affliction is doing something. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we don't lose heart. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is saying when we fix our eyes on heaven, when we hold on to what is eternal, when we look away from what is seen toward what is unseen, every persecution that we endure, every struggle we face in the path of obedience to Jesus becomes light and momentary in comparison to the glory waiting for us there. Pastor, what if, they, what if they see my faith as foolishness? That's, that's going to happen. They're going to do that. What if they see my humility as weakness? That's exactly what they're going to do. It's what the world's going to do. What if they see my joy and my passion for Christ as madness? Yeah. What if they see my belief in God's word as stupidity? You better believe they're going to do that. What if they see my hope for heaven as delusional? Yep. Yep. What if they see the actions of my life as nonsense at best and betrayal at worst? That is exactly what's going to happen. What if this cost me something? Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice because you have been counted worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ, which means you will be counted worthy to share in the glory of Christ. Rejoice and be glad. How do I do that in persecution? I've got to have an uncommon perspective. Do you have that this morning? Do you have that perspective? Are you walking out the uncommon character? Are you able to see what persecution is producing in your life, making you steadfast and more like Jesus? And do you have your eyes on the greater reward? For some of us as believers, we would have to acknowledge in this room right now, that we don't experience persecution because we're, when we're in the world, heaven help us, we look just like it. And I don't say you, I say we. I said we on purpose. Right? Remember, you point your finger, you got three coming back. Remember when your little sister would do that to you? Because we look like the world. And the more you look like the world, the easier this whole thing gets. For some of us this morning, we're going we're gonna to worship, and when we do, you just need to come get at this altar. 
and you need to stop acting like you got it all together and you've got this whole thing figured out and you need to come get real with the Lord Jesus and say, God, I'm a citizen of your kingdom who is not walking in the uncommon righteousness of it. You just need to confess that. You can do that with us. You can just get on your knee. It, you come do that. Some of you this morning are in that season of persecution. You are walking in that righteousness and because of it, you're being passed over for promotions because you refuse to lower the standard of integrity just to get your numbers up and, and you're being passed over because of it. Some of you are in seasons of hardship and right now in relationships because the relationship is breaking apart because you won't do what they do. You won't talk like they talk. You won't go where they go. And now there's friction and there's hardship and you need endurance. You need to, be, uh, you need to come get medicine and be healed and be reminded there, that there is a greater reward can do that in this time of response. And I am convinced this morning that there are some in this room, and I think you know, I think you know who you are, because when I was lost, I could not know it, that haven't made Jesus the Lord of their life. And you don't know what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you this morning, you can find uncommon happiness, uncommon character. You can become a citizen of the uncommon kingdom and be supremely happy in Jesus. I hope I've made evident that doesn't mean everything's going to be great. There's a cost to it, but you get the greater reward. Let's pray, and then we'll respond. Lord, I love you, and I'm so thankful for the power of your word. Right now, God, would you move? In the hearts of your people, would you call us forward to obedience? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.